I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back for another episode, folks. So happy to be broadcasting from the great state of South Dakota where under God, the people rule. Gosh, I just love living here. And we're so grateful we've been getting plenty of rain lately. My dry parched lawn is actually green again if you can believe it. So praise God for that. And I know the farmers are happy to be getting all that, that beautiful, beautiful rain too. And I think in fact, we could, we could keep using it. So Lord, keep it coming. Folks, today we're gonna step back into a really important topic. Uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but we're gonna talk about it again because it's frankly just that important. Really pleased to welcome to the show today, Kat Talalis, Catherine uh, goes by Kat Talalis is the Associate Director for Communications at the Pro-Life Secretariat at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. That was a mouthful. Kat, tell me if I got it wrong and welcome to the show. <laughs> you got it right. Kat Talalis is correct. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, so, glad to, so glad to have you. And we're gonna talk about Hyde because you are, um, you're, you're sort of the communications expert for the pro-life folks there uh, at the conference. And this is just, this is a, I can't emphasize enough just like how important and everybody, uh, everybody needs to know about what's happening with Hyde right now. And it's, you know, even for like a policy person, it can be a bit difficult to like wrap your head around. So I just, you know, even if it's repetitive from, you know, we had one of your colleagues on in the past, Greg uh, Mm -hmm. Schleppenbach, we're going to keep talking about it before we launch into that though. Like, Who's this Kat Talalis person? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Sure. So I'm from a little town in Spring Lake, New Jersey, little town Spring Lake, New Jersey, which is right on the coast in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Mm. I'm a small town girl. I moved to DC about seven years ago and initially was working actually as a journalist. And then I transitioned into working on the Hill. And then I worked for women's nonprofit for a little while before having the opportunity to work for the church, which has been uh, what a what a blessing to get to serve the church, especially uh, serve the church and it's sharing the truth about the gospel of life. So oh I feel goodness. incredibly blessed. I've been here yeah. for about two years. So I feel very lucky to be able to do this work every day with such wonderful people. Uh, and just like kind of mentioning like the truth, you know, that's something we've talked about this show before too, just like the splendor and beauty of truth and mm. what a beautiful thing. So can you, I'm going to spring this one on you. Like, why are you Catholic, Kat? Why am I Catholic? That's a great question. By the grace of God. I mean, that's uh, that's the simple answer. I was born, uh, you know, and raised in the, in the Catholic Church, although I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, suburban catechesis isn't always great. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that I didn't really know about the faith that my parents didn't really know even because of the way that they were um, catechized or not catechized, you know, growing up. And so I really uh, always was open to God and, and you know, loved Jesus, believed in God, and had a relationship with God, even went to Sunday Mass. But there's a lot that I just didn't know about the Catholic Church until I went to college. And mm. it was through the Catholic Campus Ministry at Rutgers University, which is my undergraduate university, oh, yeah. Yeah. where I met this wonderful group of Catholics and where God uh, found me in the Eucharist, uh, you know, uh, it was, I, I, we all have our stories, I think of us reverts, right? I was yeah. kind of even, I was kind of almost like an evangelical new age Christian, I think in hmm. high school. And, yeah. uh, and until I went to college, when I met this wonderful group of Catholics and experienced the real presence of, of God in the Eucharist and 
just the sacramental grace ah. you know, that comes through that and through that everything else followed. So can, I feel can, very blessed. Can you look back and, and identify like a moment in time? Absolutely. Tell me about it. So when my uh, s- second year of college, I was just battling between many different identities, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people experience this who come from small towns. When they go to college, they have a chance to be whoever they want to be. Yeah. And all these doors opened up for me. I was in student government. I did theater. I was being, you know, rushed by a few sororities. I had a million friends all over campus, you know, all, all kinds of opportunities that I was involved with. Yet uh, my faith became even more interesting and, and the Catholics I met were just very compelling people. And then right around that time, um, two uh, of my friends, very sudden from high school and a friend's younger brother suddenly passed away very unexpectedly. And I found out that my, my dear friend of the two, I had one that I was particularly close to, and I found out that she had passed away when I had just unpacked my bags on retreat, on a Catholic retreat. Um, And so I was really forced to confront the reality of my friend's death with nothing but my Bible, a journal, a rosary, and a bunch of awesome Catholics and some great priests. And, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't run from it. I had to confront it right there and then. And I felt an interior um, movement or an interior voice saying very clearly to me that it's time to start living your life for real. And I knew that that meant the sacramental life, something that I had kind of been dancing around, mm. um, you know, really participating in the sacraments, doing a real confession, mm. receiving the Eucharist in a state of grace, you know, these things that I had kind of um, not been really ready for. And uh, by God's grace, the next day after I found about my friend's death, I had an incredible experience in the in, in confession with a wonderful priest of our Catholic campus ministry, where the Holy Spirit just sort of took out all the words from the past years, and and I was able to experience that. And then for um, right after that, I, I was able to spend time in adoration. This is all you know, late at night, and I remember when I came into adoration right after confession, and it was just me in the Eucharist and this little chapel lit by candles. And I felt like all the love in the world was just embracing me. It was this moment where I felt so utterly loved and so found and uh, it changed my life. And, and that tremendous love um, inspired everything else. I never wanted to go back. You know, I never wanted to, to go back to my old, old life. So that, that's the story. That's the moment. Well, I'm glad that we're only using our audio and not our video because our listeners can't see me crying right now. (laughs) You've already broken the one rule on this podcast, which is guests aren't allowed to make the hosts cry. Um, It's so beautiful, just um, the extent of God's love. So, so wonderful. Absolutely. Oh, I just want to take. I want to ask you now, but I I don't. (laughs) Hey, this is my podcast. Okay, Uh, I do want to get to hide. Maybe we come back and. Sure. Okay. Let's talk a little bit of Hyde, because Hyde's going to make me cry too, but not tears You're of joy, right. tears of uh, tears of just grief for our country. Yes. So, I'm I'm grieving over what's happening with the Hyde Amendment right now because I'm a I'm a lawyer and a poli- policy person, and I understand like what actually 
is significant in this. Mm-hmm. Do you mind just giving folks an overview if maybe they haven't heard the material in the past sure. or they've heard it, but maybe like, okay, what's so important about this? Sure. Just give us some of the details, like what, what's happening? Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting because I feel like pro-life people, they may have heard the phrase, the Hyde Amendment, but they don't know what it is. Should I be for it? Should I be against it? And I don't blame them, you know, it can be confusing. So just to clear up, when we're talking about the Hyde Amendment going away, we're talking about taxpayer-funded abortion becoming a reality. So the Hyde Amendment is what protects against taxpayer funding of abortions. The Hyde Amendment is a rider, meaning that it is something that Congress basically puts into law every year Mm -hmm. as a tag along to any appropriations bills. So whenever we fund the government, we have these riders that say that these dollars that are going to fund our government cannot go to pay for elective abortion. Mm -hmm. And the Hyde Amendment is what does that. It's the rider that says that. So every single year, And every single year for 45 years, all Republicans and Democrats have voted for an appropriations bill that includes the Hyde Amendment. This year, even though the Hyde Amendment has very broad support, the overwhelming majority of Americans support this, including an overwhelming majority of low-income women, especially women of color, support the Hyde Amendment. Um, these uh, kind of radical you know, politicians and, and powerful politicians in Congress have decided to attack the Hyde Amendment and to take it out of the appropriations um, bill that has been drafted and to get rid of any protection against taxpayer-funded abortion. And how did, so and just for folks that you know, don't know the, all the ins and outs of like a budgeting process. How did this originate? Like where did, where does the budget come from? <laughs> so the budget initially usually comes from committees. So every, you know, Congress has, there are all these committees, right? And the Labor, Health and Human Services Committee is the, is the one that we're concerned about when it comes to Hyde. And this committee is a group of lots of different Congress people from both sides of the aisle um, who, who come together to, to pull, put together a draft bill. And, um, Often, that draft bill is somewhat, depending on who's in power, right, Uh, which majority party and which president, is influenced by the president's budget. Now, President Biden removed the Hyde Amendment from his budget, which was which was a surprise. We weren't necessarily necessarily expecting that. It's a very bold move, especially as yeah. he supported the Hyde Amendment in the past. Um, and then, so perhaps taking their cue from President Biden, or just based on things that a lot of these ranking members of this committee have said in the past, they decided that Labor, Health, and Human Services Committee decided to not include the Hyde Amendment rider and also not include the Weldon Amendment, which protects against, you know, conscience rights, which protects for conscience rights, I should say, protects the conscience rights of doctors and healthcare organizations that don't want to offer abortion. Um, They got rid of the Hyde Amendment and they got rid of the Weldon Amendment. And uh, that's how this, you know, was kicked off, right? They signaled that our bill is not going to include these things. So that's where we are. You know, I, and you mentioned President Biden when he was on the campaign trail. I know his campaign website indicated that he uh, was now opposed to the Hyde Amendment, which at that time was, was really shocking. He had, you know, has a long career in the United States Senate, mm-hmm. always supported it, um, apparently had some sort of evolution on the, on mm-hmm. the issue. But even then, to follow through on that campaign indication was still like a whole new level of shock, I think. And you're right. right. Um, you know, when we talk about government funding of abortions, what's the, 
you know, I know there are lots of different, they call them riders. It's like these little attachments yes. that get thrown onto a big bill. Right. So we've got Hyde, we've got Weldon, we've got Church, we've got Helms, we've yes. got Dornan. <laughs> and I, you know, the Hyde was the first, and then we, right after Hyde, we see these other ones start to tip over too. What, when we talk about government funding for abortion with Hyde, what is the government program that we're talking about? Great question. We're talking about, you know, Medicare, Medicaid. Okay. And this is where it gets interesting because the Hyde Amendment doesn't just mean that our federal tax cut dollars will go to pay for abortion. It means that states will effectively be forced to pay for abortion in order to be included in the federal Medicaid program. Can you say that one more time? Sure. Who's going to be? Yeah. States. States, your state tax dollars, in addition to your federal tax dollars, even if you're in a pro-life state, will go to pay for abortions and Medicaid if, if your state wants to stay included in the Medicaid program, which most states do, right? We want little poor kids to be able to get healthcare. Sure. And we didn't have to pay for elective abortion in order to make sure that you know little kids with disabilities or who come from poor families should be able to get healthcare, right? Or that vulnerable right. people should be able to get healthcare. So this is really, this is especially egregious because people who have said in my state, we don't want to pay for abortions. We'll be compelled yeah. to pay for abortions through their right. state tax dollars and their federal tax dollars. And that's certainly the case for South Dakota too. We've got a state statute that prohibits taxpayer dollars from going to fund abortions mm-hmm. because of the supremacy clause in the federal constitution. This federal law would then kind of trump our state law and we would be forced to pay for abortions. Yes. Um, that's concerning at a couple of levels. First and foremost, for our, just our own conscience as taxpayers, like we don't want any part of this. Um, this is... So it seems like such a um, tyrannical imposition, if I can speak boldly. Yes. Um, The other thing that's, of course, really important, we can look at data. So in South Dakota, um, in most years, in recent years, we've had in the upper 300s or low 400s in terms of abortion um, per year at one of three registered abortion facilities in the state of South Dakota, Planned Parenthood, Sanford Health, Monument Health. Mm -hmm. Um, There this last year because of COVID, it was down to like 150. But I think I saw some data out there, Kat, that indicated that states that currently fund abortions, like it, through their own dollar contributions to their state Medicaid programs, abortions, the abortion rate per childbearing woman in those states is like four times higher. than in. I, I that, absolutely believe it. I haven't seen yeah. that, that exact statistic, but I believe that's where the, um, the estimation that Hyde Amendment, the Hyde Amendment has saved 2.4, 2.5 million lives since it was enacted in the 70s, partly yeah. because of this, because we're able to look at the difference in abortion when it is funded, right, versus when it is not. And it makes sense because if you're a woman, you're a vulnerable woman, and the state is offering to pay for your abortion but they're not offering you a safe apartment to live in to get away from your abusive boyfriend. Right. They're not offering, you know, a beautifully, a, a beautiful uh, job for you to attend. They're not offering the, yeah. all of the food and all of the um, education and the resources and the medical care that your children need. They're not offering all of that, right? They're not giving you a life where you can welcome your children, but they're offering you a free abortion. They're offering to end the life of your child for free. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, we know that for the overwhelming majority of women who, who get abortions, 86% are unmarried. Yeah. Three quarters of them are low income. Yeah. So these are women who are in a very difficult spot. They do not have the relational support of, you know, of a, of a family, of a spouse. Most of the time, they do not have the financial support that goes with that. And, and often them, they themselves don't have a very you know, high income level. Yeah. So these are the women who are getting abortions. If the state is offering to take care of it, 
supposedly, right, take care of right. it as an, as an end the life of their child. A woman in desperate circumstances is going to see that vote of no confidence. Yes. And is going to receive that supposed out, right, yeah. of her terrifying situation and take it. And, yeah. that's, and that's what happens. Yeah. Right? I, I, and you hear the on the pro-abortion side, they say, well, it's like, you know, it's somehow it's discriminatory to like not offer free abortions to, to low income women. And I'm just thinking like, how discriminatory is it to respond to a crisis pregnancy mm-hmm. with the offer of violence? This is all I have for you. This is what I have for you is, is violence in the womb. Absolutely. Because you're poor. <laughs> like, oh because my goodness. You're poor. Because clearly you can't do, you don't have what it takes to support this child. So here's a free abortion. I mean, you're right. It's, it's, it's violence that they're being offered and to offer a woman a free abortion, but not the resources that she needs to care for her child and welcome them in love is not choice, but coercion. Yeah. Uh, It's a form of coercion. Yeah. That's so well put, you know, it's um, one of the things too, I think about as we're, as, as we're grappling with this issue now, I don't know if many people, know necessarily about it and one of the things i'm wondering is if just like over time you know the true politics we like just kind of shift the window as they as they put it move the overton mm-hmm. window is there a danger that our hearts become numb to what's happening do you did you ever ex- experience this or see it out there or you know, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? What I see more than a um, numbness to the issue, because I think that pro-lifers are actually stronger than ever in terms mm. of the people who believe that abortion should be illegal, yeah. is still <laughs> the majority of Americans. What I do see in terms of a numbness is their confidence in uh, the government and in democracy and in their own voice mattering. Mm. And so what ends up happening is that they don't, they're not politically active. They don't uh, call their congressman because they feel like it won't make a difference. They don't write an yeah. op-ed so like liberal, the liberal media is biased against them or something. Yeah. And, and there's, and look, there is some truth to some of that in that there are some congressmen and women who um, you're not going to necessarily change their mind because you call in. But what a lot of people don't realize is that, I mean, I worked for Congress, right? I was a staffer. Yeah. Yeah. in a congressional office. And I can tell you that every communication that you have with a member of Congress is recorded. They yeah. put it down. And yeah. even if they're pro-choice, if they see the majority of their district is against something, they might go to their leadership, right? Their Nancy Pelosi's or, you know, whoever, and say, hey, this bill's really unpopular and we want to get reelected, right? So that's can right. we do something else? And that's, that's right. the reality. These, these politicians, they want to get reelected. Yeah. And so you have to continue to raise your voice. You have to be the squeaky wheel. I know for me, my congressman, there were some issues that he was on the fence about, right? Yeah. And where he wasn't sure whether to, you know, vote for, with his party or not. And so he would say, hey, how many people have called in about this issue? And I would tell him. And sometimes that would be, often that would be the deciding thing that would ha- ask, have him support something or not, or go to his leadership. His, he was a Republican, but, but his leadership and yeah. say, hey, this is unpopular. And it's especially, you know, as Catholics, right? We have a nuanced uh, worldview. Yes. And so I think that when we can have unique re- relationships with our congressperson of both parties and help them 
to understand Catholic social teaching, right? And what their Catholic constituents think. Yeah. So when, I, when you say numbness, I do see numbness, but not to the issues. People are just yeah. as riled up on Facebook and, you know, and, and on Twitter and, you know, they're, they're talking to their friends sure. and they're reading increasingly polarized media. So people are, I think, awake to it, nice. right? Um, but it's, it's their political um, motivation that has gone numb. So we, we really want to be able to help give people a voice, help them exercise their voice. Yes. And I know the USCCB has organized a really beautiful petition drive. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. So uh, we have this no taxpayer abortion website, no taxpayerabortion.com, where we have a petition. And that petition will go to all members of Congress. It'll go to Congress. And uh, we will also, through that petition, be able to direct you to your members of Congress. So when you sign your name to the petition at no taxpayerabortion.com, not only will your name go to Congress, but you're, you will also be directed to your members of Congress. Because mm-hmm. We know that Congress is interested. Yes, they're interested if they know that a million Americans are for the Hyde Amendment. That's interesting, right? What's really interesting to individual members of Congress and to leadership is how many constituents are against something. So if you if you can contact the congressman who represents you in your district, right? Yeah. Or the senator who represents you in your state, both, um, that has a particular weight, as I said before. Sure. They really do write down every communication is recorded in their system with a constituent. Yeah. So the no taxpayer abortion website, once you sign your name to the petition, you'll also be directed to your congressman and be able to share your voice with them directly. That's awesome. And so for us in South Dakota, uh, we have three people in our congressional delegation, you know, we have one representative, one district state. So Senator John Thune on the floor of the Senate the other Mm -hmm. week gave a brilliant speech defending Hyde. We know where he's at. Yes. Congressman Johnson just sent out a a really nice email uh, the other day to uh, kind of a big public email Mm -hmm. in defense of Hyde. We know Senator Rounds on the record Mm -hmm. defending Hyde. These are all pro-life folks. Is it still important for us to reach out even though we know where they are? That is a great question. And the answer is absolutely. These Congress people need to be thanked (laughs) for their support because it is not always easy to stick your neck out on this issue. I find that this issue more than almost any other, uh, people are very intimidated to, to, to do, to stick their neck out on it, even Republicans. And also, you know, frankly, the, uh, pro-life members of Congress, we already know are pro-life, um, they, they need the encouragement. I, I worked again on the Hill and, um, it was a great encouragement to me as a staffer and to the whole staff and to, and to our congressmen as well to see, to see thank yous or also just to yeah. see these people are in favor of this thing. Cause then we get to send them a letter and say, Hey, thank you yeah. for emailing us. Yeah. We support this. We're with you. Yeah. And we get to develop that relationship with people who are like-minded and in, in yeah. our state. So it is a really important thing to, to continue to do that. It'll also, again, South Dakota, might be able to tell their leadership to keep fighting for yes. high to make this the priority, right? Yeah. Here at the USCCB, we have said that abortion is the preeminent priority. Yes. But right now in conservative media, for example, um, even conservative media, much less media that um, is on maybe the other side, um, uh, when it comes to abortion, you see a lot of... Um, uh, uh, I guess apathy or, or you don't, you don't see as sure. much of this in the news recently. Sure. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why that might be. 
But what we're seeing is that unless it's like a pro-life specific news site, we don't see a lot about abortion in the media, really on either side, especially when it comes to protecting the Heidemann. It's it's super important to make sure your Congress people, your representatives know that this is an issue to you. Those are, those are all really great points. You know, I just, with Senator Thune's really amazing speech on the floor of the Senate the other week, I know Governor Nome, just because this, as we talked about, this has serious state level policy implications. Governor Nome did a, did a nice little video awesome. on social media highlighting this issue. But to my knowledge, I have not seen anything in our state newspapers. I've not seen anything in our state television. So I think this is one of those issues that it's like actually really important that we just like talk about amongst ourselves. Exactly. Um, you know, share it on social media, share it at the dinner table, share it with your friends. Right. Like, do you know this is happening? Right. Um, what do you think about that? And and just the importance of even, I love how you just mentioned, yeah, absolutely, you gotta reach out even though you know where they're at and say thank mm-hmm. you. That's something I do all the time where I'm, mm-hmm. you know, just touching base with a staffer, just saying, hey, I just saw this come up. Thanks so much, doing great work, praying for you and your team. Um, <laughs> like, right. you know, <laughs> It's true, because I can guarantee you that that staffer, for every one positive call they get, they get nine people screaming at them, you know, and that's reality (laughs) of working in a congressional office. So it's it's really important, I think, to the morale of people who are trying to, you know, fight the good fight, and it's an uphill battle to say, you're on the right track. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. and even just like outside of the policy, you know, like trying to exercise some political influence here, like it's this joyful encouragement. Oftentimes with strangers, maybe you don't know them, that really evangelizes. Yes. Like I'm, oh, I'm, yes. like I'm praying somebody, maybe somebody listening to your testimony earlier is like, oh my goodness, like holy buckets, that's so good. And, right. you know, just to like share who we are through the joy of our communications even. Um, that's so. a great point. Yeah, because frankly, to this, I didn't get to mention this, but when you contact your congressman, again, everything we do is recorded. And that has a lot of implications, right? It, you are in many ways a witness for the pro-life movement. So it's so important to make your communications, even though we're talking about a serious issue, even though you might be very angry with your representative, if you're outside of South Dakota, if you're in a more unfriendly state when it comes to pro-life, to, to be respectful, and to say what you believe, but to do it in a very respectful way, because you are speaking to a real person on the other end of that phone. Yeah. And it is, it says a lot about the, about the pro-life movement, the way that we communicate with people who disagree with us. Yeah, and we absolutely. Have we absolutely. have to do it in a way that shows, um, that shows respect and that shows a, a true desire to impart information and to do it again, to speak the truth and love. That's what we're Amen. called to do as Christians, right? We're Amen. not called to castigate people and, yeah. and to, you know, um, be so clever and, you know, own the other side and <laughs> all yeah. these trends that we see on social yeah. media, a very polemical, you know, which has its place, right? It can be important to sometimes, but for the, you know, we're again, we're called to be Christ to yeah. the world. And how would, how do we think that Jesus would, would share this information with others, you know, and, and try to have that as our guide. Yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a great point. And as we kind of come to the end of our time, we've got a minute, minute left here. I think it's so, so important that even on a politics podcast, like just to actually claim the name of Christ and what we're doing in our minute left, what are you, any, any final parting thoughts here in the last 30 seconds? I would say that the, the most important thing is to pray, to pray uh, for the lives of unborn children and their mothers, to pray for our leaders, pray um, to um, St. Michael the Archangel for your own spiritual protection as you seek to do pro-life work. Oh, wow. And, um, and Our Lady's Rosary, and, and know that um, 
her immaculate heart has triumphed and Christ has the victory. And so ah. we are we are here to be foot soldiers for Christ, but um, the victory is already ours. Kat, you're coming back on this show sometime. It was a pleasure <laughs> to speak with you. And thanks for helping get out the word about the Hyde Amendment. Thank you so much. Take care and God bless all of you. You too. God bless you, dear listeners. Thanks as always for listening in. It's great to be with you. If you've got comments, questions, critiques, what do you want to hear about? Reach out, go to the website, sdcatholicconference.org. You can click contact us, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, maybe give us a little rating on that uh, podcast platform too. Um, And share with friends. Until next time, live well. 